Hi, my name is Ashley Bell, and I'm the outreach pastor at Cedar Mill Bible Church, as well as a member of the Joy of It team, which is a local nonprofit here in Oregon. And I just want to welcome you to Single and Satisfied. I want to acknowledge from the onset that all of us are entering into this workshop in various places on our journey with singleness. Some of us may want to be married and some of us may not want to be married. Some of us may be divorced or have experienced the death of a spouse and some of us are just indifferent towards the idea of marriage. Regardless of where you may find yourself on this journey, I want you to know that it's okay to be right where you are and feel exactly what you're feeling. God will meet each of you in that particular place. There may be things that I say this afternoon that you might not agree with, which is okay. However, I know that there's one thing that we can all definitely agree on, and that is that 2020 has been rough. That doesn't mean that there hasn't been good things that have happened. Many of us have probably known friends or that have gotten married and friends that have had babies and um, lots of good things have happened. But who would have thought that this year would have looked like this, right? This year has been marked by two pandemics, COVID-19 and the world's oldest pandemic, which is racism. So it's with those two things in mind that I enter today's workshop. I don't know how many times you've ever been told this, but the world needs you, single you, and all that you are to use your gifts and talents to bring about the kingdom change in the here and now. Far too often, single people, particularly single women, have been made to feel as if singleness is a disorder in need of a cure rather than something to be honored, a blessing and a gift to be stewarded well. I know for me, I've personally dealt with this. Dealt with the looks and the questions that made me feel as if I weren't good enough or as if I were incomplete until I actually got a husband. This, of course, is incorrect thinking. If we as women are so consumed by our desire to be married that we neglect to steward the gifts and talents that we've been given, we are not only being disobedient, but we are doing a disservice to the body of Christ, as well as people in our communities who are struggling, suffering, and dying under the weight of injustice. So how does a single person gain contentment in the midst of waiting? I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking through each of the issues that us as singles face because regardless of whether we are single or married or whatever issue we're walking through at that moment, the struggle we most often contend with, regardless of our status, is discontentment and being dissatisfied with our current relationship or relational status, whether we're married, engaged, single, have a struggling friendship, 
or in an open relationship, which is, ladies, if you're in an open relationship, whatever that is, that's always a bad idea. Don't play with your heart like that. That's just a side note. Whether we're single or married, we constantly find ourselves hungering for more seeking after the next new person or thing to meet our unrealistic, exaggerated, and misguided relational expectations. Our discontentment has become one of our biggest barriers to having and nurturing healthy relationships with our friends, our relatives, our potential boyfriends, children, or eventually possibly our spouses. One of my favorite singers is Lauren Hill. Some of you have probably heard of her or would recognize her from the movie Sister Act 2, but she's a rapper and a singer and an, an actress. And um, Lauren is also famous for saying this quote. And it's, fantasy is what people want, but reality is what they need. Let me say that again. Fantasy is what people want, but reality is what they need. When I was a little girl, I wanted to be Whitney Houston. I used to think I could sing like her. Seriously, it was really bad. After seeing her music video for How Will I Know, you know the one where she had the big hair and the sparkly, glittery dress? Look it up on YouTube if you can't remember or have never seen it. It's amazing. Anyway, after seeing that video, I made my parents order me an actual microphone with a small amp so that I could work on being just like Whitney. I may have been a little spoiled, of course. After I received the amp and the mic, I asked my uncle to make me a microphone stand. And he did this. He got a cinder block and a curtain rod and put the two together making the perfect mic stand and I would dance and sing in front of the mirror to Whitney Houston like never before. I lived in an elaborate and for my parents somewhat expensive fantasy world. And sisters a lot of us are still living in fantasy worlds particularly when it comes to the idea of marriage and dating. And our fantasies, when left unchecked, erode our contentment. At times, many times actually, I'm guilty of being discontent. So I'm not just preaching to you all, but I'm, but I'm preaching and I'm saying these things to myself. It's only by God's grace and intentionality that in this very moment, I'm content in my singleness and childlessness. I'm going to keep it real with you all this morning. I long for a family of my own. A husband to serve alongside. Someone with which I can cry, laugh, and experience the hardships of this world with. And if I'm keeping it really real, someone I can actually be intimate with. This longing, this hunger while God-given has led me to a lot of heartache and quite frankly, a lot of really bad dates. Because I was striving to fill a hunger that only God can fulfill. No man can ever fill the longing within you. Only God can do that. 
Cease striving and trust God with those feelings and desires. Sisters, spare yourself from enduring really bad dates. Here's the deal. If you're sitting across the table from someone and you start thinking about how much you'd rather be at home watching Netflix alone with some chips and some dip or maybe some ice cream, those things don't go together, but you know what I mean, then that person, they're not the one. If your date takes you go-karting and then leaves you at a table eating M&Ms by yourself only to watch him go-kart, He's not the one. That actually happened to me. I'm not sure why guys think that women want to actually watch them go-kart or play video games. Nothing about that is fun for us. We would actually like to participate in things with them, right? Seriously, ladies. Dating is hard. But I don't want to get off topic. The passage that we're going to look at and today's workshop is a familiar one, and it comes from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Philippians 4, 4 through 13. Here's some context. The church in Philippi was the first Jesus community that Paul started in Eastern Europe. It was a Roman colony in ancient Macedonia, full of retired soldiers, and it was well known for patriotic nationalism, which Paul spoke out against with the message of Jesus as the one true king of the world. And of course, this would eventually get him in trouble. Paul wrote the book of Philippians from a prison, and Paul just wasn't in prison but his execution was looming over his head. At this point, it wasn't a matter of if he would be executed, but it was a matter of when. Yet despite his bleak circumstances, the overall theme of Philippians is super positive. In fact, scholars say that Paul's letter to Philippi may be the happiest, most positive, and personal of all his letters. So let's dive in. Philippians 4, 4 through 13. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends, transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. 
I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And this is the word of the Lord. As I prepared for this workshop, I read over Philippians again and again, and God kept bringing the same question to mind again and again. And that question is, how do we learn contentment? The way in which Paul is using the word contentment here conveys the meaning of self-sufficiency. Now, for most of us, upon hearing that, we're like, wait, what? Self-sufficiency? That's the exact opposite of what God tells us to be. However, here, Paul was being very intentional about his use of this terminology because he wanted to illustrate that just like we can choose to be self-sufficient, a follower of Christ, because of who they are in Christ, could and can choose to be content even in the toughest of circumstances, recognizing that because of the indwelling presence of Christ, they have all they need within them already. Paul's exhortation towards contentment is not an excuse for complacency or some trite admonishment or plea to ignore our feelings, but it's an exhortation that encourages us to move beyond our feelings and to actively choose to actively choose an attitude of joy, contentment, a state of being that is not determined by circumstances or by our singleness. Sisters, this involves intentional effort on our parts to retrain our thinking, taking every thought captive so that it aligns with the thoughts of Jesus. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 10.5, and I'm going to read this from the message. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of Christ fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Learning contentment involves us being willing to acknowledge where we are at, to stay engaged in circumstances and relationships around us, even when those circumstances and relationships get a little or a lot messy. Spiritual and relational progress requires steadfastness of both spirit and mind. And this is a choice. Now I want to pause and give two disclaimers. First, I know that for some of us who battle anxiety, depression, or other mental disorders, that contentment at times isn't a choice. I have in the past and still do at times struggle with anxiety. I take medication for anxiety so I know that it's a struggle and I'm not dismissing that because it's a very real thing and it's not easily resolved but God is good and gracious enough to provide contentment even in those situations. Secondly 
Staying engaged in the process requires that we be connected to each other. It's called a relationship for a reason. It takes more than just one person in a relationship putting in the hard work. Both people must participate fully. Whether you're in a dating relationship or a friendship, you can't have a relationship with someone who doesn't want to have a relationship with you. None of us can make someone commit to a relationship if they just won't do it. So in our singleness, if we're striving to have a relationship with someone who is not putting in the work to have a relationship with, with us, it will only lead to heartache. Now if you're in a relationship, I do want to take a moment just to talk to you. At some point, you might need to ask yourself, am I willing to put in the work? If the answer is no, then you need to go to the Lord and His Word and ask Him to help you discern why that is. If your answer is yes, still go to the Lord, but this time ask Him how. It might be that you need to pursue confession, forgiveness, or reconciliation. But whatever you do, don't let your pride or bitterness stand in the way of what God is trying to do. He may have something else in mind. And remember that what may have worked for someone else's relationship may not work for you. Your situation may need a different approach. The only one-size-fits-all approach is to go to the Lord first. So in those deep places of heartache and grief and mental fatigue and really tough questions, again I ask, how do we learn contentment? When we look closely at Philippians 4, 4-13, through 13, we can see three clear pathways that usher in contentment. They are praising God for who He is and what He has done, feeding our hunger with the things of God, not the things of this world, and practicing surrender. And I'll expound upon each of these things. With praising God for who He is and what He's done, I'd like to tell you a little bit of the story of Corrie Ten Boom. And some of you are familiar with her. She was a Holocaust survivor and missionary. Being Jewish, when Corrie and her sister Betsy were sent to a concentration camp during World War II, during that time they endured unimaginable horrors. There was one particular instance when they were being held captive where Corrie and her sister were transferred to a different dormitory at the camp. This particular dormitory just happened to be infested with fleas. It was so bad that even the German guards refused to enter it out of fear that they would get bitten. Can you imagine? Their situation was a nightmare in every way. Corey and her sister decided that instead of bemoaning their circumstance, they would begin praising God for their experience. 
and treating it as an opportunity to love and minister to the other people around them. This resulted in being able to have contentment in the bleakest of circumstances. Their ability to praise God in this situation no doubt had a positive impact on them, but on the community around them. Through them, Christ's love was on full display. Through praise, even in the midst of the toughest circumstances, God gives us his perspective increasing our peace and contentment while providing strength to endure whatever our circumstances may be. I mentioned earlier that Paul's letter to the church at Philippi is described by scholars as his most joy-filled yet. In fact, Paul uses the word rejoice over and over again in the book of Philippians. And for for Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord Always, I will say it again, rejoice. He wants to emphasize that rejoicing is the declarative stance we must take in every circumstance. And this declarative stance to rejoice always will transform our attitudes and ultimately our very state of being. And we see this reflected in the lives of Corey and Betsy, of the Apostle Paul and in the life of Jesus. Practicing praise is a catalyst for contentment. Psalm 126, 3-6 says this, The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. This was sung by a group of people who were in the middle of heartache and drought, and here they are singing about God's faithfulness and the hope they had in Him. We must never forget to be people who rejoice always. The second way we learn contentment is by feeding our hunger with the things of God, not the things of this world. Proverbs 27.7 says, One who is, fill, who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. I want everyone to close your eyes for a moment and think about your favorite meal. Can you see it? Do you have the smell and the taste in your mind? Okay, now open your eyes. After having our favorite meal, we're satisfied. We're no longer hungry. In fact, at that point, we can't even imagine eating another thing. But when we're hungry and not eating the very thing that we're craving, the thing that was meant to satisfy that hunger, we just keep eating and eating and eating. Even the things we may not even like. 
another way of illustrating this is for those of us who have food allergies we know that if we make the choice to eat that gluten-filled bread or drink that lactose-filled milk that it's not a matter of if we get sick or if we have gas it's when trying to satisfy our heavenly hunger when these with things that we know will make us sick will only keep us sick and hungry C.S. Lewis says this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We've actually been created to hunger and crave heavenly things. Revelation 7.16 makes this clear. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. True contentment comes from heavenly things, not earthly ones. The problem is, is that whether we're single or whether we're in a relationship, most of us are running around trying to satisfy our hunger, that heavenly craving with all the wrong things. Just because it looks good on the outside and tastes good for a moment doesn't mean it won't wreck us internally. For example, the, promiscu the promiscuity you've been engaging in, the addiction to pornography or alcohol you've indulged and been hiding, or the anger you've been suppressing will no doubt end up affecting any romantic relationship you enter into as well as your friendships and ultimately your relationship with Jesus. Looking for fulfillment through impulsive gratification of the flesh will not, and hear me when I say this, bring you the wholeness and satisfaction you're longing for. It might bring you temporary happiness, but not satisfaction, and it certainly won't bring you contentment. Only a renewed perspective through your relationship with Jesus can do that. Sisters, we must regularly check our hunger by asking ourselves three questions. One, is this hunger from God or my own fleshly appetite? Two, what am I hungering after? Three, are the ways I plan to satisfy my hunger honoring to God and the people he's placed in my life? family, friends, community, etc. When our hunger goes unchecked, it's so easy for us to start mistaking what's bitter for what's sweet. Instead, we must at all times do what Paul says in verse 4-8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Noble, admirable, lovely, excellent, true. In other words, the things of God are the things that we should be hungering for, seeking after, and intentionally contemplating on, on a regular basis. The third is practicing 
surrender. We're coming off of Mother's Day, and I don't know about you, but at times Mother's Day can be a big bummer for me. The holidays have a way of increasing our hunger for not only heavenly things, but for the things of the world. Most of us during these times, especially now, since we're experiencing them through the lens of a pandemic, experience a flood of emotions, joy, frustration, sadness, and anger, the list goes on. For some of us who don't live alone, maybe we were able to spend time with family and friends, sharing food, games, and laughter. And for other of us who were left with the memories of, of what used to be, or the distant hope of what could be, for me, a single woman who has never been married and has yet to have the privilege of being a mom, a woman who has never known her biological father and at one time suffered a somewhat strained relationship with her mother. Mother's Day and other holidays can be a stark reminder of just how single, how alone I really am. Another reminder of unanswered prayers, disappointments, and unfulfilled desires centering around the things I long for, but do not have. I'm sure some of you may have felt the same way. The holidays can be landmarks. Landmarks that point us back to our need to surrender. So that we can partake in true contentment. The kind of contentment that can only be met by faith in Jesus. I've been wrestling with the paradox between surrendering and being content. Because as uncomfortable as it is, I believe Jesus asked us, asked me, to do it frequently. Contentment and surrender go together in God's kingdom reality. And his reality isn't based on fantasy, but the truth that he is the great provider of our every need, and in him we lack nothing. In God's eyes, surrender isn't just waving a white flag and saying, I'm done. Surrender is a full-body effort that requires us to trust God wholeheartedly with everything, and I do mean everything. Let's go back to Philippians 4, 11, and 12. Paul writes, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want again we can't forget the context in which Paul is writing this he was in prison facing death he was willing to surrender completely ultimately he had made peace with the idea of surrendering his life. It's with this posture that Paul speaks of being content. That's mind-blowing to me. But before Paul, there were two people that modeled the complexities of contentment and surrender, and that was Abraham and Sarah. God told them that they would be the father and mother of a multitude of nations. Many of you are familiar with that story. Abraham and Sarah both had a longing for family. Sarah to be a mother, 
Abraham a father, to have a biological heir. They longed for assurance of safety, provision, redemption, and family expansion. And God promised to do this, to give them what they desired. God made a covenant with them, an eternal agreement made in the confines of relationship. In Genesis 17:19, God promised that he would establish the covenant with them through Isaac, meaning great blessing, family, and kingdom expansion would come through Isaac, their son. This was the way. So when God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering, it was an unfathomable request. It would seem illogical to any rational mind, a blatant contradiction to what God had promised he would do. However, ultimately, what God was asking them to do by surrendering Isaac was to surrender both what was and what was to be. Every dream, desire, and fantasy for the sake of being content in God and God alone. Not resting our hopes in anything other than Him to fulfill us. Here's what I know. God is asking some of us who are listening to this workshop today to surrender some things for the sake of contentment. So what or who is your Isaac? He may be asking you to call off the engagement or end that relationship, to stay in that marriage, to be single, forgive a loved one, or to surrender whatever that what if is that's keeping your hope displaced. Know that your surrender won't be in vain. Be assured that contentment will come. Surrender will always be hard. It wouldn't be surrender if it wasn't. But if we've experienced and digested the faithfulness of God, we have the ability to be content in any and every situation. Contentment is not the absence of longing, but it's having a holy perspective that keeps us centered on Jesus while walking in the midst of the now and not yet. Before I close, I want to highlight two things. The first is, is that it is super important for you to use the gifts that God has given you. And in order to use those gifts, you have to know what those are. You also have to know whose you are. So I would encourage you to do some self-examination. Take Strength Finders, if you haven't already, and read Parker Palmer's book, Let Your Life Speak. Read the parable of the talents and ask God to reveal to you what gifts and talents he's given you so that you can use them. This will be essential to your contentment. Whether you're single or married, living your life in service of the kingdom is crucial to feeling content in this life. Secondly, 
Philippians 4.13, we've heard this time and time again. We've probably even quoted it to other people. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Sisters, you can't have contentment in the midst of the waiting, doubt, and frustration without Christ's strength. You can't have contentment in the midst of all those emotions without praising God for the hope you have in Him, for the abundant life that He has so graciously given you. Your contentment or lack thereof has everything to do with what you do or don't believe about Jesus. Have you allowed fantasy and worldly appetites to erode your faith? The kind of faith we see modeled in the lives of Abraham and Sarah, Paul, and first and foremost, Jesus. Our thirst, the great thirst and hunger of our hearts, can never be filled by anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of what Jesus said to the woman at the well. Whoever drinks of the water I give will never thirst again. He is our living water. And with him contentment can be a part of our happily ever after. Lord, I thank you for these sisters. Father, I pray that wherever they're at in their journey, Lord, I pray that you give them peace. I pray that you give them rest. I pray that you heal their hearts, and I pray that in the coming hours and coming days and coming weeks and coming months, that they would be divinely aware of your Holy Spirit's presence with them and just how much you love them. That you would remind them that you see them, that you hear them, and that you know them. Lord, bless them and continue to show them your show them yourself in extravagant ways in Jesus name I pray amen thank you all so much for joining me today and if you'd like to stay connected please feel free to email me at abel at cnbc.org or check out joyofit.org for blogs or cedarmill.church for other sermons you can also find me on social media. Thank you guys for joining in.